Dear radio friends, today we begin a series of messages on the life of Joseph. If you have your Bible with you, we will be looking today at Genesis chapter 36 verses 1 through 11. The story of Joseph is perhaps one of the most well-known and loved in Scripture. I remember as a child being fascinated by the characters and the plot, the crisis and the resolution in this story. It's an amazing story. There are three main lessons for us to learn from the life of Joseph. The first thing we learn is that God is sovereign over all things, including evil, in such a way that he directs all things to serve his purposes and to serve the good of his chosen people. The story of Joseph is perhaps the greatest illustration in all of the Bible of the truth of Romans 8 verse 28, which says, All things work together for good to them that love God. At the end of this story, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God is at work here to preserve his people, to produce the nation of Israel, and to fulfill his promise to send the Savior, Jesus Christ. The second thing we learn from this story is that God in his covenant faithfulness works in families. Earlier, God's promise to Abraham was that his covenant would be with Abraham and his seed after him in their generations. The family of Joseph is, to say the least, dysfunctional. In these verses, there is a seething hatred between family members that erupts in a murderous spirit. And yet, God is pleased to work in a marvelous way by his grace to bring salvation to this family. There's much for us to learn from this family for our families. And we're going to see that especially today in this first message. The third obvious lesson for us in Joseph's life is the lesson of faith and godliness. We learn this lesson from Joseph himself. I do not say that Joseph was perfect or sinless, but there is something extraordinary about him. We are used to seeing the Bible characters, warts and all. Think of Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Eli, David, Solomon, Peter, and many more. The Bible doesn't hesitate to tell us about their sins. But when we come to Joseph, we have to search the scripture very closely to find anything blameworthy. That's even true of these introductory verses in which Joseph reports the evil of his brothers and shares his dreams with them. Some are very critical of him for this. But the Bible says nothing to indicate that his motives were anything but pure. The sin described here is in Jacob and in Joseph's brothers. And going beyond this passage, we see in Joseph a patience, a trust, a diligence, and a love unsurpassed in Scripture. And there are lessons for all of us to learn from this, especially for the young for Joseph was a young man. The verses that we look at today introduce us to Joseph and his family, who are the main players in this history. This family is in crisis. Joseph is introduced to us as a 17-year-old boy who is sent out to watch his father's flocks with four of his brothers. Earlier in Genesis, we learn that Joseph is the eleventh of twelve sons born to Jacob. 
These sons are not all from one wife, but four wives, Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. Of these four wives, Jacob's favorite is Rachel. And for many years, while the other wives bear children, Rachel is barren. And then finally, Rachel gives birth to Joseph, and he becomes his father's pride and joy, his favorite child. The brothers that Joseph works with are the sons of Jacob's concubines, Bilhah and Zilpah. These wives are at the bottom of the list. We can be sure that these men see and resent the special place that Joseph has in his father's affection. Besides this, favoritism is never good for any child. Children are sinners, and so when they are the objects of special treatment, the result is a sense of superiority, a sense of self-importance and self-righteousness. And even if these were not the attitudes of Joseph's heart, we can be sure that his brothers perceived it this way, especially when Joseph reported their evil deeds to their father Jacob. Here is the little favorite, and now he's become daddy's little tattletale, the brothers would have thought. And perhaps here we can excuse Joseph for his higher duty of faithfulness to his father, to his brothers, and even to God. His report was true. The brothers were indeed evil. The words evil report in verse 2 indicate that this was a report Joseph heard from others about his brothers. They were renowned for their wickedness. Away from Father Jacob, out in the fields and the surrounding villages, they became known as evil men, perhaps thieves and fornicators and partiers and drunkards. And maybe out of concern for them and for the reputation of God's people as pilgrims and strangers in Canaan, Joseph reports this to his father. But Jacob cannot be excused. Though the brothers are also wicked in their hatred of Joseph, as we'll see, Jacob was largely to blame for this. Verse 3 tells us, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. It's significant that the name used here is Israel and not Jacob. This is his new name from God. Here we have the transformed Jacob, the new man, not wrestling with God, but dependent on God, and yet we find he's still a sinner an indulgent parent. And this favoritism soon shows itself as it always does when parents uh, want to favor one of their children. Joseph is the son of his old age. These two become constant companions. They're always together, conversing, holding hands, laughing, sharing secrets. And this becomes very obvious to the other children. On top of this, Jacob makes for Joseph a coat of many colors. What exactly this coat was, we don't know, but the word used here seems to indicate two things about this coat. One, it was not a single piece of cloth, but many pieces of cloths put together, and so it was an expensive coat. And two, it was a long cloak, not the kind that workers or shepherds would use, but the kind that royalty would wear. And so while Joseph's brothers had to as it were, roll up their sleeves and work, Joseph was promoted by his father to management. He was the white-collar worker, they the blue-collar. And again, we don't know anything about Joseph's motives here, but as we read this chapter, it seems that Joseph is quite willing to wear his coat, even though he knew that it was provocative. 
How foolish of Jacob, his father. Shouldn't Jacob have known better? Doesn't any parent know that this kind of thing breeds sibling rivalry and hatred? Shouldn't Jacob have learned a lesson from his own childhood when Esau was his father's favorite and he was his mother's favorite? Couldn't he see the dreadful results that this brought between him and his brother and in his own family? But you see, this is exactly what we do too. We carry sins over from one generation to the next and we're blind to it. I doubt that Jacob even realized what he was doing here. Probably he justified it. Yes, my father did favor Esau, but that was different. He loved Esau for carnal reasons because Esau liked the outdoors. I love Joseph because here is a godly young man worthy of my affection. And what we've learned from this is that all of us need God's grace to open our eyes to our own failures. And we need God's grace in our families and our homes if they are to serve Him. Who of us has a perfect family? Who of us are perfect parents? Oh, may God open our eyes to see how deeply sin affects our lives and our homes so that hostility doesn't come into our dwelling. May he work by his grace in our homes and families and may he do that without the pain that Jacob and his family had to experience. Joseph's brothers, and now not just the four of them, but the ten of them, observe this favoritism. Verse 4 tells us that when they saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And in the following verses, this hatred builds. Four times the word hate is mentioned, and each time it intensifies. It starts in verse 4. They despise him simply because of the favoritism and the coat. This hatred was so deep that they cannot speak a kind word to him. They cannot greet him in the morning. Literally, when they saw him, they could not bring themselves to say shalom or peace to him. And this sometimes happens in families. It can happen between a husband and a wife, between children, between grown siblings, between parents and children. Maybe this is true in your family. Sometimes it will happen in the family of God, the church, between believers. And very often the cause is hatred in our own hearts. We despise the brother or sister or husband or wife. And here really is a test of our heart. When you see that person, can you say, shalom or peace? If not, then perhaps hatred in your heart is the cause of the conflict. And so first they hate him simply because he's favored, but this hatred intensifies. In verse 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. This is how it happened. Joseph comes down to the breakfast table. They already cannot stand to see him. And he says, listen, I had a dream. We were working together in the fields, binding sheaves. A sheave is a bundle of straw. And we were binding these sheaves, and my sheaf rose and stood upright, and yours gathered around and bowed down to it. That was my dream. And Joseph doesn't offer any interpretation, but he doesn't have to, because the brothers already know what it means. They ask What's this, little brother? You really think that you're going to reign over us? You? You're going to have authority and rule over us? 
and their hatred intensifies. At the end of verse 8, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, it's not just because he's favored and he has a coat, but listen to him. He thinks he's something, or so they reason. You can almost hear them. Later in the chapter, in verse 19, they give him a nickname, the Dreamer. Here comes the Dreamer. And then, maybe it's the next morning, he has another dream in verse 9. Here he comes again. Listen, I've had another dream. The word here is behold, or amazing. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And then after he's told his brothers the dream, he goes to find his father to tell him too. And Jacob is angry. He rebukes his son, Joseph. Maybe it's the first time Joseph is rebuked by his father. But this is more than Jacob can handle. We have to understand this was a patriarchal society. And respect for the father figure was built into the relationships. Part of why Joseph's brothers hate him so much is that they dare not disrespect their father. Fathers didn't bow down to their sons. And so Jacob rebukes his son. Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Joseph, don't talk like that. And in verse 11 we see that again the hatred of the brothers intensifies. And his brethren envied him. Now envy is a form of hatred which resents and begrudges another person. Envy wants the other person out of the way. Get out of my life. I hate you because you have what I want or because you are what I want to be. Was this hatred of Joseph's brothers justified? Perhaps we want to excuse it and say, well, what do you expect? After all, look what's happened. It's what Jacob and Joseph are doing that's the cause of all this. And too often that's how we will excuse our own sinful behavior in our relationships. Yes, I'm very angry with my wife, but look what she did. But you see, what another has done against us, even if it's sinful, is never an excuse for our sinful behavior. And here I want to contrast these brothers to Joseph. Later, when their hatred explodes, they want to kill him and they sell him. We never read that Joseph despised his brothers or rebelled against God. Jesus says, if your brothers smite you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. And as believers, we must be willing to suffer wrong, to follow Christ, to when he was reviled, reviled not again, but he gave his back to the smiters. That's the grace of God that we need to be able to live in our families, in our homes with one another, because we are sinners living with sinners. No, this hatred was not justified, not in the slightest. And what makes that very obvious is that God has a hand in this history. When we look at the life of Joseph, there's nothing miraculous. He doesn't receive bread from heaven to keep him going. He's not led by a cloud as he travels. In many ways, it's a very ordinary history. Joseph perseveres through the unknown. But here, in these verses, at the very beginning of this history, God speaks. God sends these dreams to Joseph, not one, 
but two, the second dream to confirm the first. And when God sends a dream, he does it so that the dream can be announced. Joseph here is a prophet, one who receives special revelation from God to be spoken. And so these dreams are a testimony against Joseph's brothers. They hate him, in verse 8, for his dreams. That's a little different than hating him for his coat or his father's favoritism. The coat came from Jacob, but the dreams from God. This was prophetic. And the brothers are not ready to embrace God's purposes for them and for their family. And so their hatred is a rebellion against divine revelation. In the end, they despise God. And do you know that whenever we despise another person, we too are really hating God's purposes for us. God will put people in your life that are difficult for you to love. God puts them there and he says, love them. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. It doesn't matter who that is. God brought them into your life. God caused the paths of your lives to intersect. And what are you going to say now about God's purposes? Are you going to hate them and hate him, God, for them? You see, God sent these dreams. And these brothers determined evil against Joseph in response to the dreams. Later, they will remember both of the dreams. And they'll remember the evil that they commit against Joseph. And they will confess it and repent of it. What they do here is sin. And it cannot be excused. Neither can our sin be excused. But Jacob sees the hand of God here. In verse 11, after he rebukes Joseph, we read that he observed what Joseph had said. He thought about it. Could God possibly be working in these dreams? Had God sent them? Jacob will store up these dreams in his memory to see what God meant by them in the future. And so will Joseph. These dreams, the voice of God to him will be his strength through two decades of silence from heaven. Joseph in faith will cling to them because he trusts God and because he knows that God in his sovereign providence has a purpose in all that will befall him. Oh, may we, who have received so much greater and clearer revelation than Joseph, also have that kind of faith in God and in his word. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to digging into the scriptural account of the life of Joseph. We're thankful for the scriptures and for the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ in them. Give us to believe, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.